Uh, before Philip comes to speak to us, uh, I'm going to uh, give our reading, which comes from James. Uh, we'll be following through James in the next uh, few weeks. And um, uh, I, I was just uh, remembering that uh, I think in the New English Bible, uh, the book of James is headed, has little subheadings in that, and that's headed Practical Christianity. Uh, and uh, I think that's, uh, that's a really good summary, two-word summary of, of some of what James says. So James, chapter 1, uh, and the first 18 verses. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered around the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he created. Thanks be to God. I invite Philip to come and speak, and I'll just pray for you, Philip, as he does. Yeah, thank you. Father, thank you for our brother Philip. Uh, thank you for uh, his life that he has given to you. 
And Lord, as he comes to speak to us this morning, we pray that you will bless him. Uh, Lord, that the words that come from his mouth will be yours. Uh, and we pray that as we hear these words, uh, we will come closer to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Yeah, so great to see everyone uh, on this wonderful sunny Sunday. Yeah, it's, this is a new series. Uh, Dan, is, uh, as we hear, uh, is away on holiday, and so some of us will be uh, following up uh, the book of James. Uh, so our first question, though, we might ask is, who is this guy? Who is James? Jim? Jimmy? No, James. James. Scripture informs us that James was the brother of Jesus, and during Jesus' ministry, James didn't believe in him. He changed his mind, though, after the resurrection, when Jesus appeared to him personally. It's all recorded in Scripture. And thereafter, he became a very strong follower of Jesus and a leader in the Jerusalem church. We read that Paul uh, consulted with him on several occasions. And James was martyred in Jerusalem in uh, the year AD 62. And this book is basically written at the time, it was written to Jewish Christians, the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, those who had become Christians, but who I think had indeed experienced trials and opposition, not least because uh, there was the persecution that Saul, as it was at the time, as he was at the time, uh, undertook after the death of Stephen. And the believers, we understand, were widely scattered. And James does mention the word scattered uh, in his introduction. Uh, But my main focus today is on this rather surprising phrase in the passage. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Pure joy? Trials? I don't think this is the most intuitive or popular statement in Scripture, especially not for the modern world. But to its recipients, we can believe straight away who were facing persecution, who had probably fled from Jerusalem for fear of being thrown into prison or worse. It would have been hugely encouraging because it emphasizes, as we just heard from Colin, the testing of your faith when you have a trial, produces perseverance, and having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life the Lord has promised to those that love him. And at that time already, the ultimate test was indeed martyrdom. And that sort of testing became even more severe when the later Roman emperors opposed Christianity, subjecting Christians to torture and death in the arena. That exhortation to find joy amid trials remains very relevant to the persecuted church around the world today. Those of you who were here a few weeks ago will remember our dear friend Werner Nyman of the charity Open Doors, and he spoke to us about the experiences of persecuted Christians, their bravery, and the huge inspiration that that offers to us where faith is quite to here, where we have freedom Uh, in to follow faith or not as we choose. 
And just the numbers, Werner didn't mention, but they're on the Open Doors website, the numbers of Christians that suffer trials of that kind are staggering. Open Doors estimate 360 million Christians around the world are experiencing high levels of persecution and discrimination today. That's an astonishing, an astonishing one in seven of the whole global Christian population. It also shows us that around the world, nearly six million Christians were killed for their faith last year. Uh, 4,650 in Nigeria alone. And that in the past year, more than 5,000 churches and church buildings were bombed, attacked, destroyed, looted, burned down, or forcibly closed. Can you imagine that here? To try to stop people meeting together to worship Jesus. These are, if you like, very sobering facts, and they make it understandable that the persecuted church around the world takes great encouragement from James's call to consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because as we've heard, it gives rise to perseverance, maturity, and ultimately the crown of life. But what about us? Should we consider perhaps that this text is only relevant when we pray for persecuted Christians which we should do. We pray that they would indeed be blessed in their trials and relieved of them wherever that's possible. I want to contend that the passage has great relevance for our lives as well, but we do need to look deeply. So what is meant by trials? We've talked about the more extreme ones, but I think we can be say that even for ourselves, A trial is an adverse circumstance that causes us distress. Maybe sickness of ourselves or those we love. Could be financial difficulties, problems at work, relationship conflicts. Think of your own, the trials that you face or have faced. A trial, if you like, is something that comes from outside to cause us difficulty. But James also mentions temptations. He teaches that these can arise. The scripture tells us that a temptation can arise from the world and the devil, but also from our own weaknesses. And that's what James is saying here. He talks about the flesh. He talks about our own evil desires, what Paul calls the flesh. And temptation, of course, is not in itself something wrong. A temptation is a temptation to do something wrong. But as James said, people, if you do give in to temptation, it can be deadly. What the word that James actually uses for trial and temptation are actually very close in Greek. And I think what we can consider is that the adverse consequence of giving in to a temptation is also a trial. If you like, it's something that we inflict on ourselves and therefore it's also dealt with in this passage. Things coming from outside, things that mess us up coming from inside. Now the world would clearly see trials, whether they come from outside or whether we inflict them on ourselves, as something undesirable 
and to be avoided at all costs, a source of misery and certainly not of joy. It's something that we should make every effort to fix. And of course, if we don't manage to fix them, we end up in anxiety, depression, ultimately despair. Or on the other hand, we may seemingly succeed in fixing things, but we make things worse. And the Bible gives us lots of examples of people who try to fix things themselves with not very good consequences. Abraham and Sarah, for instance, whom God had promised a child in their old age that would begin a whole nation, they got impatient waiting for God to fulfill that promise. Abraham slept with his servant girl and that ended up with family strife and the banishment of that girl and her son who nearly died in the desert. Or Jacob, who was wounded by his father's preference for his older brother Esau, he tricked his father Isaac into giving him the inheritance that was due to Esau. And then he had to flee in case his brother would kill him. So yeah, trying to fix things ourselves is not always uh, the best thing. What I would suggest is that followers of Jesus can take a different view of trials from the world. But we do have to be careful not to minimize the suffering that many people undergo with glib phrases like, every cloud has a silver lining, or failure teaches us lessons. We're not trying here to portray Christian faith as a kind of masochism. Hey, let's find a bad situation so we can be really happy. No, that's not what we're saying here at all. We are saying that trials are something that we should avoid, but experience suggests that life on this earth does typically include them. And a key explanation in the Bible for why we end up with trials is because we have disobeyed God. We fell out with him in the Garden of Eden. And there was a separation from God and a curse thereafter on mankind and on creation. I think one way forward when we face these inevitable difficulties in our lives is to consider how in Scripture the patterns of this world are shown not to always have eternal significance. The Bible, in other words, teaches us what are often called great reversals. And the greatest reversal of all was when Jesus reversed what the world expected of the Messiah. They expected the Messiah to go and lead a military campaign and kick out the Romans, right? But instead, Jesus died friendless on a cross. A great reversal. But that great reversal was something of great significance and value because through that reversal, Christians can be reconciled to God. We celebrate that when we take the communion. And from Jesus' resurrection, we can gain the promise of eternity. And Paul wrote, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that th through so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. I'm not going to do a bojo this time because I've got page numbers. <laughs> James talks of a similar reversal in terms of the world's view of poverty and wealth. 
James emphasizes, as we heard Colin mention, that it's believers who are poor who ought to take pride in their high position. While rich people, he said, should take pride in their humiliation. And one explanation for that may be that wealth can become something that excludes God, that makes it the center of our lives. And Jesus spoke similarly to James in what is often called the Sermon on the Plain in Luke chapter 6. What Jesus said there is that the poor, the hungry, the weak, and those persecuted are blessed. Those who are rich, those who are full, those who are laughing perhaps in their own superiority, those who are being praised by everyone, they're going to suffer woe. And as I said, I think a key reason why Jesus says this, and James too, is that being comfortably off can lead one to forget God and make your own comfort the core of your life. And given that trials are still going to come along, that means you've not got a basis, you've not got a foundation for sustaining a good life. Tim Keller puts it this way, good things, if received without faith in God, will enslave or disappoint or turn out to be a snare in some way. While people who receive hard things with faith in God will discover that seeming trials turn out to be blessings. Trials turn out to be blessings, there we go again. But we need to say, how does that come about? How could it come about? I want to suggest that one part of the Christian answer to trials is that we give up trying to fix things ourselves and indeed seek Instead, we seek the wisdom from God that James tells us is freely available. He said this, as Colin read, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. It's this giving things over to God, trusting him to do what's best, allowing ourselves to become more dependent on him, that can give rise to amazing peace in the midst of trials, and I'm going to highlight that from my own life later on. Paul wrote in the similar vein, he said this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit, Romans 15, 13. And he also said, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And Jesus himself said this succinctly. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Matthew eleven twenty-eight. So yeah, give things over to God, but how practically, even in that case, can we achieve the peace and the joy and the rest that is promised here, even in times of difficulty? The peace and the joy and the rest, incidentally, that is so apparent among Christians who are persecuted around the world. I want to suggest it's a question of three things, faith and hope and love. Faith and hope and love. So James is, is highlighting faith here as very important. He, faith is, of course, the key to the Christian life. Christian life begins when we put our faith in Christ Jesus as our Savior and our Lord, and in his sacrifice for sins on the cross, our sins on the cross, 
when we invite him into our lives. That's why we can read out the general confession and know that we are forgiven because of what Jesus did, and we have faith in that. But what James is saying is that it's in faith, in trials, that our faith can be strengthened. He says, the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And it's that maturity that you get through perseverance that I think he's arguing allows us to hand our trials over to God, to trust him, and that it can enable us indeed to feel a paradoxical joy and peace in relief. Paul puts it like this in Romans 5, therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. But faith alone is not the only thing, the only answer to trials, if you like. There's also hope. There's a nice image of faith, hope, and love, that faith and hope are these big characters, and in the middle there's this little child who is hope, but hope is so important as well. The culture of today, of course, lacks any hope beyond the grave, and science tells us even if there was hope beyond the grave, the world's going to be wiped out when the sun blows up eventually. There's not much to hope for there, and therefore in the light of a lack of hope, trials are going to be particularly distressing and adverse. But what a Christian answer is, is the resurrection of Jesus is what changes everything and gives the hope that enables us to find joy even amid trials. The resurrection means, of course, that the grave is not the end of life. As Jesus said, my father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I not have told you? Would I have told you that I was going there to prepare a place for you? John 14, 2. And in the light of the resurrection of Jesus and his ascension to heaven, his followers can have a firm hope of eternal life amid trials. But that eternal life is not something that only happens after you die. Let me just emphasize, the eternal life begins when you accept Jesus as your Savior and Lord, because everything you do in this life is then a building block for eternity. It's a building block for God's kingdom. It's a building block for the restoration of creation and all the things that God wants us to do here on this earth too. So yeah, hope from the resurrection is a hope of not only an abundant life here, but a bodily resurrection to a blessed eternity. It's a hope to receive the crown of life that James talks about, life eternal. And as I say, hope for a new creation where even our own work on this earth has eternal value. This is something I feel a lot when I look at gardens and try and do my own garden as well, that this is not necessarily something temporary, even if it feels like that when the hosepipe ban means that all our plants wither. But you know what I mean? There's a, a work here to do on this earth that has eternal value, and uh, who knows if that's part of it but it's caring to us, we'll see. And James refers to this as he writes that God chose to give us birth, that's rebirth, I think, uh, being born again as a, when you become a Christian, 
through the word of truth that we might be a sort of first fruit of what all that he created. And this is the argument that is being made here that followers of Jesus who are filled with the Holy Spirit are the start, the first fruits of the new creation. The new creation isn't something that's going to happen only when Jesus comes again. Of course, that's when it's going to be totally fulfilled. But the new creation begins now when we become God's children by following Jesus. And yeah, I think the new creation does include care for nature that can be, as Paul puts it in Romans, liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We've been on holiday in Wales recently and I felt very close to that particular verse that care for creation is something that uh, we are called to. And that hope does give eternal, the overall hope of the resurrection and all that it means gives eternal perspective to earthly trials. Teresa of Avila puts it like this, from heaven even the most miserable life will seem like one night in an inconvenient hotel. You may or may not go along with that, but you can see what she means, yeah. Faith and hope, but then there's love. The world tells us what? The world says, looking after number one. Yeah? It tells us that we need to look after ourselves, including resolving trials ourselves. Get better, get on, get ambitious, etc. But... Friends, a vision of hell. We talk about devils with pitchforks and fire, but one vision of hell that I've found very convincing is that a, a hell is actually a person who is totally wrapped up in themselves. A person who is unable to relate to God or to other people. Just like the rich people who Paul says, who James says is going to fade away even as they go about their business. What Jesus has called us to do, of course, is to focus away from ourselves, to love our neighbor as ourselves, and to love God. Uh, and when we do focus away, that's what we're able to do. We are what's called saved to serve. We can serve one another and not just ourselves. We'll find that seeking the happiness of others and not just ourselves is a way of lasting joy. In that context, trials can equip us to help one another in a deeper way. And Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, Praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. In other words, our experience of trials can help enable us to help others suffering a similar difficulty. I saw that, for example, when I first got tinnitus in the tinnitus support group. People who had experienced tinnitus for a number of years, it hadn't gone away for them, but they were able to say to the others, you know what, you're going to get used to it. And that was a great comfort, and that's something that all of us, through, the, through whatever difficulties we may have had, can help others, exactly as Paul writes, comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves received. 
there's a flow there. Perhaps there's someone you can comfort in some way when you reflect on your own trials and perhaps a similar trial that that person's undergoing. And when we suffer trials, as Christians, recall too that we're following in Jesus' footsteps. The author of Hebrews wrote this, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, that word, joy, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So yeah, that's the argument that I'm making from James, that through faith and hope and love, the joy that he mentions is available to us, even amidst severe trials. As we grow our faith, become sure of our eternal hope and emulate his love. Before I close, I'd just like to finish by telling you about three trials in my own life through which I found the paradoxical joy of which James speaks. And maybe they will help you to better reflect on some adversities in your life that have led to blessings or not yet. And I realize that many of you listening, you've had far worse trials than anything I've suffered. Please just bear with me that I'm not trying to put myself on a pedestal, but just telling you these things in the hope that they're helpful. So yeah, the first trial I had that I want to mention here is the experience of intense suffering I had in Germany where we were working in 1997. I had what was ultimately diagnosed as Lyme disease. Lyme disease is an illness that is passed on by insects called ticks that live on deer. I was trying to get super fit by cycling to work through the forest and this little varmint bit me and I ended up with severe pain in my arms and shoulders. Um, and then I tried to fix it myself. I benefited from super health insurance with the, the bank that I was with, and I assumed it was a sports injury. So I didn't bother going to the GP. I just went to the sports clinic and I had these weird and wonderful treatments. They put you in a bath and give you electric shocks and all sorts of things. <laughs> but it was all to no avail. Didn't do anything because I had a bacterial illness, idiot. I couldn't go to work. I couldn't wash myself. Claire had to wash me. So intense was the pain in my arms and shoulders I could virtually not sleep. But that difficulty was resolved in a really dramatic way as I also started to experience what I now know is spiritual attack, feelings of terror, so I dreaded sleepless nights, the sleepless nights, all of them. And I had a temptation also to harm myself. And those horrible feelings besides the physical pain only ended when I called on Jesus in my agony and my terror to come and save me, and he did in a blaze of white light amid the darkness. I, in effect, did what is being said here. I handed the situation over to him, and I found that I'd switched from fear and pain to intense joy in the middle of that trial. I indeed went to the GP eventually and took the antibiotics that were needed to get rid of the illness, but I do believe it was fervent healing prayer in tongues by our Japanese friend 
but let God heal me first. And that experience led me to the joy of becoming a Christian. Before that, I was a churchgoer, not a very enthusiastic churchgoer, <laughs> but I received then God's gift of faith, and that's guided my life from that day onwards. That's the first trial. The second trial, a bit shorter. The second trial came when I was leaving my ministry at Penge in 2014. I came back here with Claire. I'd had a bunged up eustachian tube, you medics and those who know, it's the tube that goes from your mouth or your nose to your ear, right? Um, so it had been blocked for a month following hay fever and it suddenly did lead to tinnitus. I got an infection, it seems, in the ear due to a blockage and that led to a loss of hearing and tinnitus. You know what tinnitus is? It's the nasty noises that you hear in your ear sometimes and I've been hearing them for the last seven years now eight years. Um, for two years that drove me completely nuts. Some of you may remember me getting a bit fidgety at that time. And I would get up in the middle of the night, go for a walk around the circuit, uh, try and relieve the stress. I tried to fix it myself. I went to lots of doctors and clinics. I took part in a clinical trial for a cure. I paid through the nose. You know you pay through the nose, not through the ear? I prayed through the nose for my ear for a few private sessions with a top audiologist. And some of you may remember, we, I uh, helped the High Kent charity, the support group, did meet here in the church for quite a while. But what I recall now, and I remember it at the time, is that God said to me this. He said, I'm not going to take away this tinnitus, which is a trial for you. I'm going to make you strong so you can bear it. And I think now it's a bit akin to what Paul heard from God, St. Paul, about his thorn in the flesh, 2 Corinthians 12. This is what Paul wrote. He said, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. God was giving me his wisdom, which as James said, gives, is given generously to everyone without finding fault, all without finding fault. And so gradually, I was indeed able to ignore the tinnitus. I mean, you know, it's rattling away now, but I'm not taking any notice of it, as I do now. That had previously been the bane of my life. And I can witness to people who are suffering tinnitus that relief is possible, even if you don't get rid of the noise. And then finally, most of you will be aware I now have caring responsibilities that were not there before. I become a cook, a cleaner, a gardener, a personal carer. I still teach economics sometimes, and I get the help sometimes as well. But uh, yeah, from the world's point of view, this is a trial. If I'd been told a few years ago, 10 years maybe, that I'd be in this situation before it happened, I would have been alarmed. But what I find again is that God's grace is sufficient. I think the experience with tinnitus actually uh, and the strengthening God provided then prepared me for what that, what's up now. And I'm finding in this situation now both peace and joy. I'm focusing more away from myself and I've found resources to love that I didn't previously possess. So yeah, to sum up, we're always going to face trials in this world. 
The question is, do they strengthen our faith, or indeed create it, as in my case, or do they rather lead us to give it up, abandon it? And I would suggest that God has provided everyone who follows Jesus with resources to cope and find joy even amid the pain. These are resources that are available to anyone here who doesn't follow Jesus at present if you put your faith in him as your Savior and Lord. As we persevere in our faith through difficulty, we can find renewed hope founded in the historical fact of Jesus' resurrection and renewed resources to love God and other people, as James, Jesus put it. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So yeah, as we persevere in our faith amid trials, we too will overcome and find joy with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. Amen. Amen. Going to invite the band to play some songs before the blessing at the end. <laughs>